want to think about what the gospel is. It's at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. It's the good news, literally, that defines who we are as Christians. And it's simply this. You were created by God in his image, gloriously created. You are an awesome, unique creature of God that is intended to glorify him in a relationship with him. But tragically, none of us do that when we start off. We start off, the Bible says, in rebellion against God. We have a broken relationship with him. But thankfully, in his mercy, he doesn't leave us there. He judges sin like a holy God should. And then he offers a way of escape from the consequences of our sin. And that's through his son, Jesus. The eternal son becomes a true human being and walks in this world on our behalf. And he obeys in place of every time you've disobeyed. And he dies a perfect sacrificial death to pay for our sins. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And Jesus shed that blood. So he obeys for us. He dies for us. And then he rises from the dead for us and conquers sin and death and hell. He's not just a historical figure who laid down his life for us. He's a living, reigning, ruling king who continues to mediate for us. And the way you avail yourself to that saving power of Jesus is by turning from your sin and self to saving trust in Jesus. You lean all your weight on him, depending on him and him alone for your reconciliation with God. And that changes everything. You're a new creature in Christ when that's the reality of your life. And that gives you an abundant life now, although it incurs challenges you didn't have before as well on the way home that you're learning in Daniel. But at the same time, you have eternal life with him that frames everything in your life now. And Jesus becomes your life. He's not just a really important part of your life. He is your life. And he's everything. And we see the glory of God in his face and it changes everything. That's the gospel. That's what we understand as the good news of Jesus Christ as clearly and concisely as I can put it. And when this takes over, here's the awesome thing. You not just become a forgiven, righteous child of God. You become a minister of the gospel. The people of God, the church, are the primary way that God advances his purposes in the world. And we have the awesome privilege of being priests to our God. In other words, the priests in the Old Testament had access into the very presence of God in the Holy of Holies. And they also represented people as they did that. So we, as priests, that's what the Bible says, we're all priests now. We're all ministers of the gospel, have the privilege of ushering other people into the presence of God. And there's no better passage of scripture I can think of to describe what it means to be ministers of the gospel than this passage in Colossians chapter 1, 28 and 29. Do we have that, guys, up there, ready to go? No? Oh, there it is. Beautiful. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul says, for this I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I, I want to walk through this just a, a portion at a time. First it says, him we proclaim. So our ministries, every true ministry should be about Jesus. It should be about Christ. Him we proclaim. So a Christ-centeredness, a, a Christian focus is a Christ focus. You can't be 
focused enough on Jesus. Now, the beauty of focusing on Jesus is when you do that biblically, when you really know the Bible and understand who Jesus is according to the scriptures, here's what happens. You focus on Jesus, and he brings us to the Father. And when he brings us to the Father, the Father says, Behold, my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Focus on my Son. Depend on my Son. And you know what the Son says? He says, Depend on the Spirit. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. But he says to his disciples, but don't even think of beginning that ministry until the Spirit comes in power like he did on the day of Pentecost and has continued to come into our hearts the way he has since that day. And so there's this beautiful, what we would call Trinitarian economy, way of God operating, that when you focus on Jesus, he brings us to the Father. The Father points us to the Son, and the Son says, depend on the Spirit. And you know what the Spirit's primary role is? To exalt the Son. (laughs) So when when you focus on Jesus properly, it'll be a Father, Son, Spirit understanding of God that you have, and then a way of living that depends on the Spirit. And so even when we pray, we realize we pray to the Father through the Son in the power of the Spirit. And so there's a, a Trinitarian understanding, Father, Son, Spirit understanding of who God is when we focus on the Son and then do that biblically. So, Him we proclaim. Now, the last thing I want to say about this Him idea is it's got to be about Jesus. So when you evaluate a ministry of a church, when you evaluate a ministry of Hume Lake, when you evaluate a sermon, a little mini-sermon like I'm preaching now, ask the question, is this about Jesus? Is, is this ministry, is this church, is this pastor, preacher, minister actually following the lead of the Bible by making it about Jesus? I moved to Southern California in 1999 when I was just, I think I was 35, and I couldn't believe how different the church culture was here in Southern, where I was in Southern California than it was where I grew up in New England. Do you know the average size of a church in New England is less than 70 people? If you added up all the churches that had over 1,000 people in all of New England, you know how many churches you'd have? Five. It's amazing how, how few Christians there are and how struggling spiritually it is and it's, you go to churches in New England, they're not cool. They're not cool at all, right? You got Aunt Millie playing the piano best she can, right? You don't have smoke machines. You, you, you have people who are struggling to get by, but there's a beauty to it because it's not about this big, impressive ministry. I moved here, and I'd say to people, hey, where do you go to church? And they'd say, oh, I go to Tommy Jones's church. And I'd say, Who? And they'd question if I was a Christian or not because I didn't know their celebrity pastor or their celebrity worship leader, right? And I'm not faulting those guys for having an influence necessarily at all. I'm just saying it can so easily be about the dude or about the ministry and how cutting edge and innovative they are. When ministry is not complicated, it's, not, it's pretty simple. It's never been easy, but it's loving people well and pointing them to Jesus. That's what it is. And sadly, often, especially in youth ministry, it can be about being so cool and so up on contemporary culture. I mean, I was just in the back room with a bunch of young people asking them all these vocabulary words I don't know. What exactly is bussin', I was saying. And and I was saying, could you help me understand, the word chill seems to be used for everything now. How is work? Chill. 
Oh, uh, how's your relationship with your girlfriend? Oh, it's chill. Is that good? Is that bad? It sounds kind of vanilla and neutral to me. I don't know. I can't keep up. But that's okay. I can still minister effectively even if I don't know the latest cool Taylor Swift song, right? You don't expect that from me, do you? And if I tried to do that, you'd think I was trying too hard, right? You'd prefer I'd just be an uncool old guy who actually loves you and understands the truth and wants you to know that. Yes, yes. And I'm very hopeful in the young generation. When I started teaching, I think there was a shallowness to my students who really cared way more than they should about superficial things. But the more and more I spend time with young people, you don't really care if I'm a complete geek, do you? You want to know, is this guy legit? Is he going to tell the truth? Is he going to be who he says he is, right? You don't care if I wear skinny jeans. Are those even in anymore? No, okay. So you really don't want me to wear skinny jeans. But, but what I'm saying is it's got to be about Jesus, right? It's got to be about him. It's got to be a Christ-exalting ministry. Ask that question anytime you think about joining a church, joining a ministry, whatever. Uh, and then it says proclaim. That's a really important word. Proclaim is a strong word. And these are the kinds of words the Bible uses to talk about what we verbally do with the good news. It's proclamation. It's bold. It's confident. It's not just swapping stories or sharing experiences. It's saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God who gave himself for me, and he's changed everything. He rose from the dead, and he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. It's a boldness, a confidence. I've noticed that we Christians can be very timid. The media and the culture tends to view Christians very often as a bunch of overzealous evangelists and Bible thumpers when the fact is most of us are really timid, huh? Most of us are not overdoing preaching the gospel, are we? You got any Christian friends who every time they see somebody says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus, and you need to say, hey, come on, chill out. Just You don't always need to go to... Do you have friends like that? Is that really the problem? No. The problem is we're timid like mice. And at the same time, non-Christians are really bold, I've noticed. They're bold about their political agendas. They're, they're bold about certain social issues. I mean, really bold. I have family members who are bold about how they believe in horoscopes and karma and, and all sorts of things. I have one family member. We were driving in my van, and the digital clock said 11-11. And she said, 11-11, the universe has your back. <laughs> really? What's the universe? And do I want it to have my back? And why in the world would 11-11 have anything to do with the universe having my back? But she's bold about it, right? You need to know that when the clock says 11-11, the universe is saying, I got your back. She doesn't say, well, they're Christians. I'm going to hedge my bets and sort of filter what I say so they appreciate it, right? She's bold about it. And we should be at least equally bold about Jesus as people are. So him we proclaim. Could we leave that passage up there, guys? There we go. Him we proclaim, warning everyone. Notice that. Warning language is judgment day language. Warning language means there's coming a day when everyone will stand before God. The Bible says it is appointed a man once to die and then to face the judgment. Eastern religions have that have very much influenced our culture these days don't have that idea of a linear view of time. Arriving at a point where we have to answer to God for our lives. The Bible's very clear it does. That's why this idea of karma is a brilliant lie Satan came up with, that it never ends. 
If you do pretty well in this life, you come out a better life form in the next, in reincarnation. If you do, if you do badly, you come out a worse life form, and it just never ends. It's cyclical in that way. The Bible's view is very linear, and we need to help people be ready for the day of judgment. I know we don't want to be affiliated with those hellfire and brimstone nasty people who carry signs at the end of the Rose Bowl talking about how much God hates people, but we've got to realize that there is a judgment day. Jesus talked about hell more than anybody in the Bible. He talked about judgment day more than anybody else in the Bible. We need to follow his lead in that. So him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. So our ministries, both as receivers and ministers, needs to be filled with solid content from the scriptures. We need to do the hard work to get there. It doesn't just happen. It's not just an oozy spiritual thing. It's a profoundly important intellectual thing that we think about. It doesn't mean you know fancy Latin words or famous theologians or anything, but it means you know the Bible. You're men and women of the word. Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here's where the, the real discernment is required. We don't just bleh. As I think of teaching you and pray about teaching you, I want to do it in a way where, where I'm connecting and you're getting it. And so there, there's wisdom required to do that. So we want to do it with all wisdom. Why? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's the goal of our lives and ministries. That we, we walk faithfully with God and then we are used by God to bring people who don't know Jesus to saving knowledge of Christ and then continue to minister to those who do know Christ so that they grow in greater and greater maturity. That's the goal. That's Judgment Day imagery as well. Present Presentation language that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's, that's a vital thing we're doing here. We're, we're thinking about on the Day of Judgment, we stand forgiven and righteous in God's sight as his children, but then our works as believers will be evaluated by God. And we will see some things are just, what the Bible says, wood, hay, and stubble. They don't add up to any lasting value. They weren't storing up treasures in heaven. They were just flesh-empowered for self instead of God glorifying in a spirit-empowered way. And so we have to realize that our works will add up to things of lasting value or not. And the ideal is to have people on Judgment Day who know Jesus because of our influence and know him better because of our influence. Now, I want you to notice the everyone's. They're there in Greek. That's why the translators added in English. It seems a bit repetitive. Warning everyone, teaching everyone, presenting everyone mature in Christ. That means there's a comprehensiveness to our ministry. It's not just when we have a role and a title someone's given us and looks to us for. It means that just in passing sometimes we can be an amazing blessing to people. We can just smile and be grateful and say, God bless you. We, we can point people to Jesus with our lives in, in passing interactions as well as long-term relationships. There's a comprehensiveness to it. And then don't miss what he says next. For this I toil, struggling. So, ministry's hard work. Just expect it to be hard. Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he'll destroy. Sin is alive and well still, even in believers, a battle we fight every day. And so there is a difficulty to it. In a fallen world, we just need to acknowledge toil and struggle. But look where Paul ends up. Where does he end up? Resting in the Spirit's work, right? Struggling with all his energy 
that he powerfully works within me. So we need to say, Lord, I want to be spirit-empowered, spirit-filled, spirit-anointed, spirit-enabled to have an impact. I don't want to operate just out of my talents and gifts in a flesh-oriented way. I want to be a spirit-empowered man or woman to walk with you and lead other people to maturity in you. That's a great way of thinking about ministry. All right, let's talk. Let's first talk about what I've been talking about so far. And then we'll see if you have any questions about the Daniel series you're going through. And then we'll talk about anything you want. Any questions about what I've been putting out there as Christian ministry, knowing, living, and preaching the gospel? Anything at all? Yes, sir. Tell me your name. I'm Richie. Richie. Yes. Excellent. I love it, Richie. What do you do, Richie says, when they take your confidence in preaching the gospel, right? And then, then say, say the second half again. And use that against you because just because you're confident. That's right. And use that against you and says, well, just because you're confident doesn't mean it's true, right? Which is absolutely true. And so our confidence shouldn't be in our confidence. Right? Our confidence should be in the object of our faith, not our faith. Because you're right. People are incredibly bold about all sorts of immoral things. Right? I have, I have friends and acquaintances. I used to work construction. I played football for 16 years. I've hung out with some pretty rough characters. And, and they were bold about how great pornography is. Right? And they, they made fun of me for not looking at it. Right? So if they can be that evangelistic about something immoral like pornography... I want to be equally bold about that, but we're not going to ch- compare our boldness and get the validity of what we're saying from that. We're going to consider what it is we're bold about and whether or not that's trustworthy. Yes? We shouldn't lack boldness, but our boldness isn't the substance of our ministry. Be- because the Bible actually says you can have the faith of a mustard seed, but if it's in Christ, you can move mountains. So, so yeah, our boldness isn't in our boldness. It's in Jesus. And that's, that's what we need to be super clear about. And even days we struggle in our faith, Jesus is still just as true as he's ever been. Great question, Richie. What else? Tell me your name. Audrey. Hi. Yeah, yeah. Good, Audrey. I love your question. So when we read the Bible, miraculous demonstrations, which are God taking back his creation, you'll realize when you read the Bible in a big scope, are clustered around major movements of God. So creation or, or the ministry of the prophets, where things are happening in ways that are miraculous. It's when God's moving in and setting precedence and giving perspective. It's actually not the normal way of being, right? Most of the Christian life is mundane looking. It will be punctuated at times with a miraculous display of some kind, but even that miraculous display is to set us up to live the normal Christian life of changing diapers, sitting in traffic, going to work, loving our neighbor, not daily miraculous. We can become miracle junkies when we love and see that happen. But even the purpose of the miracle is to show God's at work, but then to set us up to live in the normal, which is most of the Christian life. And so that's the first thing I would say is it's God taking back his world. 
and we need to be spirit-empowered, but we need to realize that the most miraculous thing I think you'll ever see is someone who's brought out of darkness into light. Last Thursday here, kids were doing business with God, man. It was incredible. And the Red Sea parting's cool, but a hardened, rebellious sinner bowing the knee to Jesus and trusting him and saving faith, that's the greatest miracle I ever want to see and have seen. And so the miraculous hasn't stopped. I mean, a baby being conceived and actually coming to term and being born requires about 5,000 miracles to happen for that to even happen. So I don't want to make a too, too big a distinction between the miraculous and what we say the non-miraculous is because every, the fact that your body works the way it does consistently is a miracle. It's awesome. The fact that sequoia trees even exist by the way, my wife's seminar on trees is awesome next door. It's so great. She's a tree nerd completely. And, and she, she's right. The Bible tells the story through trees. You, you won't believe how true that is. Anyway, uh, yeah, so, so I love your question, Audrey, but I hope that was a helpful answer. Okay, good. What else? Tell me your name. Braden. How do you share the gospel with somebody who's equally convinced? Yeah, I love that question. And so somebody's equally convinced of their own religion or non-religion or whatever worldview they have. I think the first thing is to ask lots of questions to find out what this person really believes. And you know what I find? Braden, I find most people haven't thought that much about what they believe. They just heard Oprah say it. And now they're parroting what Oprah, seriously. Or they're just living in a way that gives them an immediate sense of therapeutic health, even though they deep down know that's not going to give them what they need in a lasting way. So, so I would ask lots of questions. And then I find myself asking two questions when I hear what people believe. I keep saying, well, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by spirituality? What, what do you mean by love? What do you mean by meaning, right? Ask them what they mean. And then ask them, and where are you getting that? It's really important we realize where we're getting these ideas. We believe this is God's revealed word. This is our ultimate authority and source, the word of God. And we're clear about that. I want to know where your sources are. And people, a lot of times, haven't even thought about that. And, and if they really think about it, they'll really say, you know what? It was an English teacher in 10th grade who had a huge impact on me. He was so cool and so persuasive. And his worldview just, I kind of adopted it because I wanted to be like him. Sometimes that's all it boils down to a lot of times. When you go to college, you, you get some Freud, you'll get some Marx, you'll get some John Dewey. You get all these influences that end up shaping a worldview without even questioning it very much. So I want to ask people, what do you mean by all these words you're talking about? And where are you getting them? And then I want to take their source of truth and authority, put it on the table, and put mine on the table, and see how the two of them explain reality, and which one does a better job. I've never seen anything that comes even close to explaining reality like the Bible. Just the human condition explains why there's profound goodness in us because we're made in God's image, and real badness in us because we've all got a sin problem. Other worldviews can't explain that. Norm MacDonald, this brilliant comedian who just died last year, I think he became a Christian at the end of his life, right before he died. There's a quote I could show you where he says, you know, I've looked at all the religions and philosophies of the world, and it seems like they either say humans are all good, which I know isn't true, or they're just animals and all bad, which I know isn't true. And he says, and it seems that the Christian view that views people as amazingly good but also really bad at the same time and that's solved by the guy who comes and represents us named Jesus, that one seems to make the most sense. And we could just have conversations like that with people. Let's talk about your source of truth. 
what you mean by it, and then let's talk about existence and reality and which of our truths explains that best. And I don't think there's anything close to the Bible's explanation of reality. And that's where I would want to start, is just getting it on the table, being clear about what it is, and then just saying, all right, who, who, which one has more explanatory power of the human experience? Great question, Braden. What else? Go ahead. Tell me your name. Uh, my name is Bryn. 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 Love it. so true. So Bryn, we need a plan to fight the battle faithfully. And I think 50%, Bryn asks, how do you prepare for temptation ahead of time instead of trying to just survive it when it comes? Great question. So uh, I, for me, half the battle is knowing it's a battle, right? We tend to assume we're way stronger than we are. We tend to assume we're way safer than we are. When the Bible says that there's a war raging within us, Paul calls it the old man who God killed off but still lurks around in there, right? I do the very thing I hate, Paul says in Romans 7. And so we, we have an inward battle. We have an outward battle constantly bombarding us with views of ourselves, of God, of others that aren't coming from God's word, but come from a culture that evaluates people so shallowly. And our, our impression of meaning and purpose and importance comes from, from Madison Avenue and Hollywood, not from the word of God. And we try to keep up with that on social media, and it's exhausting, and it kills us. And so we've got to be biblically discerning men and women who are biblically saturated enough to be able to, eat, to spot a lie when it comes through our social media feed, see it as a lie, and purposely reject it and replace it with God's understanding of my worth, my value, that other person's worth and value, God's glory. All these things need to permeate our thinking so that we have the discernment to even see a lie when it's there and send it back to hell where it belongs. And so, so living that kind of life, going into a battle, waking up in the morning and saying, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he'll destroy. I've got sin lurking in my heart that's going to want to take over for me. I go to war with pride every day I wake up. It's one of my big problems, along with lots of other things. And so I go to war. With, I'll wake up and say, all right, Lord, please help me with my pride today. Help me with my critical spirit today. Help me with my impatience today, Lord. Help me anytime there's some message coming that's counter to your perspective to see it for what it is and reject it. Help me to do that faithfully and, and go to war with it. And the Spirit will provide for you, Bryn, in astounding ways. Like I bet you've already seen him do in your life. Just asking the questions like that shows God's at work in good ways in your life. And, and he is kind and he's present and he's powerful and he will enable you to overcome sin. I've been sinning for 59 years, dear ones. And sin has never kept its promise once in my life. It's lied to me every time. It, and then it mocks me for listening to it. God's never lied to me. He's always powerful. He's always present. He's always good. And I can depend on him. Great question, Bryn. Yes, tell me your name. Uh, Carson. This is an amazing section right here. Look at you guys. <laughs> Good. Karsten? Carson. Carson. Love it. Good name. So uh, how do you preach the gospel in a way where people won't turn away from 
Say, say the second half again. Uh, that we'll, we won't feel condemned. And we'll feel condemned. And Okay, so, so the, the judgment piece can be hard for people, and the difference piece of it can be hard for people. So we need to help people to see the truthfulness of the good news, but also the goodness of the good news. It's not just true, it's the best thing you could ever imagine. And it's what you deep down desperately need and want. That's what I want people to know. So we overcome, hopefully, the, the condemning sense of it by realizing and making it clear that I don't put you as somebody who's not a Christian in some different category than I am in neediness. I, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone his own way. We all are in the same rebellious, sinful condition when we boot up. And so I don't put you in some different category in your neediness for forgiveness. I was in the same one, and now I've been forgiven, and I want you to know that too. And you know what? So much of it is just who you are. I, I get the sense, Carson, you're not going to come out cross as self-righteous and judgmental. Just asking that question shows that you're concerned about that and you're not going to come across that way, right? So, so bank on that. You have a lot of, I bet you have a lot of relational capital with people because you, you have a way that isn't, right? Isn't that true, friends of Carson? Yes. Right. So, right. Yeah, very much. See, so, so we're, we're afraid of seeming judgmental and condemning when really our problem is more on the other side of things. You know, I meet so few Christians. I've never met a Christian who asks that question, who's got a problem with being judgmental, <laughs> right? If you're concerned about being judgmental, you're not judgmental, right? So, um, so, so don't, don't be too afraid of that unless you really recognize that in yourself and you really do look down on non-Christians and think you're better than they are, which is completely antithetical to the whole definition of grace. And so, so depend on that God's worked in your life and people will perceive you as somebody who's not putting them down, even though they may want to do that so that they get an excuse of some kind. But then the difference is a glorious difference. Every other religion is what we do to reach God. Christianity is what God's done to reach us. It's, it's not what we do. It's what he's done in Jesus. It's the most freeing, graceful, awesome, forgiving thing ever. It's, it's so great, and it, the difference is wonderful. It's called grace. And people, people deep down hate grace on one level. We want to earn it. We want to prove it. We want to demonstrate it, which is why we find grace offensive. But, but ultimately, we've got to be able to realize the goodness of this, that deep down we want to know that freedom. I love meadows. Don't miss Princess Meadow on your way out. We went to, to Crescent Meadow down in Sequoia last week. Oh, so great. Why do we love meadows? I think it's because they, they visualize for us freedom within boundaries, which is how we're created to live. Freedom within boundaries, it, it just meets our needs and our soul. I love you guys. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for these amazing young people. Oh, how, how thrilling to just spend these few minutes with them. Lord, they're so obviously eager to learn and grow, and you're obviously working their lives. I pray that would continue that you'd be working in their lives in beautiful ways, drawing them closer to you and using them so powerfully as ministers of the gospel. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you.